Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I am speaking with David and Jackson, who, um, as at time of recording, none of episodes have gone out of this, but there's a few of us that are looking forward to this show for sure. Uh, from the forthcoming show, Apples and Oranges, which is a show that um, I'm going to let them actually explain it to you, but... <laughs> I've spoken to my friends who are podcasters, and we are excited for this. Excellent. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Oh, very much. Hey, thank you for having us. We're excited. I'm glad yeah. you reached out to us. Do you want to tell them what Apples and Oranges is, basically? Yeah, sure. So um, the Beach Boys are one of mine and my dad's favorite bands. And uh, I'm a huge Beatles fan, too. Uh, and I don't think you're quite as much of a Beatles fan as I am. But I'm getting there. Anyway, <laughs> we're both big fans of the bands. And what we decided to do was basically take the discographies of both of the bands and compare them uh, track by track, uh, album by album. And I mean, we're skipping some of the Beach Boys albums and we're, we're uh, going a little bit out of order, but that's to get some of the best matchups possible. But we're going to be comparing the bands, comparing the songs and following their journey of how they evolved, um, you know, the Beatles going from their early era style songs to later their uh, Sgt. Pepper kind of stuff. And the Beach Boys also did kind of the same thing. And I don't want to say that. Well, it's, it, I'll, I'll take it from there. The, okay. the interesting thing about these two bands is their parallel trajectories. Like they yeah. evolved kind of at the same time alongside each other. You know, they started off with those simple radio friendly big hits that everybody loves. And then they leveled up their production, their sophistication, the maturity of their subject matter, the arrangements, everything. They just they took it to a completely different level. And they both worked to expand the boundaries of what pop music could be. And they were directly inspiring each other. It was just like, you know, today, Rubber Soul, Pet Sounds, Revolver. It was just this incredible cycle of innovation between the two bands. And I think today, um, the Beach Boys reputation is largely tarnished, <laughs> mostly by their own actions and decisions. But I think a lot of people have have either lost sight of the fact or never knew how well respected the Beach Boys were in the 60s and how much they deserve when you're just focusing on the 60s, how much they deserve to be put there side by side next to the Beatles and compare them to each other. Because there are a lot of parallels to their development. You know, even after they leveled up their production, they both scaled back at about the same time, you know. And so I, people largely, general public, is not aware of the quality of the Beach Boys catalog after 1966. Yeah. And that's something that Beach Boys fans and Brian Wilson fans are, you know, would love for more people to know about. And so... I originally had this idea to do this podcast. I thought uh, I brought it up probably over a year ago to Jackson and because he was, he's a musician and he was exploring, you know, music history and he was discovering the Beach Boys on his own and the Beatles on his own. 
And I, I like this idea of comparing the two because, um, because of the parallels that we see in them. And we just kind of let it lie for a while. And then sometime last summer, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, Dad, that apples and oranges idea you had, we, we should do that. You know, and he was 17 at the time. And, you know, hey, if you've got a 17 year old that wants to do a project with you, you know, you find a way to say yes. So um, we set about doing that because of our schedules and how crazy our lives are. We knew we needed to get a head start. So we've produced about half of these episodes already and we're getting ready. I don't know when this is going to publish, but our first full episode is scheduled to be published on February 7th. And we targeted that day because it's the 60th anniversary of the Beatles arriving in America and yeah. disembarking at JFK, that famous scene that everybody knows. So yeah. we think that these two bands deserve to be compared to each other. And uh, we're looking forward to, to uh, bringing that to light. And th this is a, this is an album versus album competition. Every, every matchup will be a two-parter. We'll spend one episode on a Beach Boys album, another episode on the Beatles album, and then we'll declare a winner between those two, and then we'll go to the next matchup. So we're looking forward to it. These episodes are turning out well. We've got a lot of people anticipating it, so we're really excited. Yep. So to pull away the curtain, I've spoken with um, my colleagues from the Top of Most of the Pop of Most pop podcast. I don't know if you know that show. Uh, where we're going through the charts from when the Beatles first hit the charts all the way through to when they, when they split up, essentially. And we're looking at all the, uh, in, in topmost of the poppermost, we'll look at all the different musical crazes that are going on and the different styles and genres that are around at the time, uh, acts that are around at the time, important or ones that have been, been lost to time as well sometimes. Uh, and also where there are artists that have either been influenced by the Beatles, had anything to do with them, or have influenced the Beatles themselves. And it's basically just to see what was going on around the same time and compare what was going on with these other acts and what was going on around them and how everything was influencing each other, essentially. So both my colleagues on there, uh, Dr Kit O'Toole and Ed Chen, I've chatted with them and they're really interested in um, in that, the, in the idea of the show. Uh, Darren DeRivo from, uh, I can't remember the name of the radio station in New York now. He's fascinated with the, with the idea, as is Ken Michaels as well. And I've had a good chat with a few people about it. Awesome. Yeah, you know, we're looking forward to it. We, we arranged, we mapped out these matchups in advance. And like Jackson was saying, because the Beach Boys had more albums, we can't cover all of theirs because yeah. we're keeping this strictly a 1v1 matchup format. So, but we will roughly go in order from 63 to 1970. But we'll, for, ex for example, we have flipped the order in which we cover Hard Day's Night and Beatles for Sale. Yep. And separately, we've flipped the order of when we cover the Beach Boys Today versus their Summer Days and Summer Nights album. Yeah. And the reason we did that was to make sure we got the best matchup. Like we put, we put matchup quality ahead of loyalty to the timeline. Right. So yeah. we wanted rubber soul versus today. We wanted yeah. to get that matchup and we wanted pet sounds versus revolver. Yeah. So we made sure we got that. And so we didn't stick, we didn't, we didn't um, force ourselves 
to stick strictly to the proper chronology. Right. We did. We didn't. For example, we didn't include the Christmas album versus one of you know the main Beatles albums because you know right it doesn't really fit. Yeah. So, so I think everybody when they hear this, if they're if they're familiar at all with the stories of the two bands, they probably immediately think of that era there from '65 to '67, when I would suggest that maybe both bands were peaking creatively. Um. After that, from 67 to 70, I think my feeling and the, the, kind of my internal mental approach to this show is that the whole world knows, is familiar with what the Beatles did from 67 yeah. to 70. But I feel like only hardcore Beach Boys fans know what they were doing during that time frame. Yeah. Because after Good Vibrations and after they missed the Monterey uh, Pop Festival, you know, they they fell out of favor and fell out of the public eye and their albums didn't sell, but their work was actually excellent. So yep. I'm looking yep. forward to going over all of that. I mean, even though but we're going on tangents now, even though um, it didn't come out as was originally planned, I still think that Smiley Smile is a good album. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, and, you sure. know, and Wild Honey. I, I love that as an album as well. There's a lot of really nice, good points in there. So it's 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 overlooked in in essence. It's almost as though because of Brian was the way that he was at the time, yeah. And and this and 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 in some ways, I don't think that the record company understood exactly what they'd got with the Beach Boys at this point, in a way. And they were in a sort of state of transition anyway, in essence. Where eventually, when you get to the when you get to like seventy three, seventy four. It would be more of a group thing anyway, where you'd have more you'd have more involvement from Carl for starters, at that sort of era, as well. So this is the start of the that transition. But the material that they were coming out with, whether it was Brian or even some of the 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 beginnings of the others doing the writing, there is some really good material there that's just not like you said known to anyone outside of those people that are collectors of the Beach Boys. You're exactly right. And the esteem of those albums has risen in recent decades. Yeah. And so, and I mean, when I often, when I'm listening to my Beach Boys playlist, I'm not listening to anything prior to 1966. I mean, there, there's so much like Same. Wild Honey, Friends, 2020, Sunflower, Surf's Up, Holland, full of great songs that nobody knows. Yeah. When I tell people that I'm, that I'm a Beach Boys fan, they'll laugh at me. And I'll say, okay, have you ever heard this song? Inevitably, I get the reaction of, whoa, I didn't know they did stuff like that. Or I never would have guessed that was the Beach Boys. People are stuck with that early surf and sand, fun in the sun image of them, which I get. Like Mike Love keeps that image alive every night on his concert tours, you know. But that's not all they did. If that was all they did, there wouldn't be a hardcore following to this day, you know. They they did other stuff, and their best stuff came after people quit paying attention to them. <laughs> yeah, and certainly after I'll say after the the UK over here paid any attention to them as well, including the record company, because I find it really strange that something like the incredible song we're going out of the era here completely, but songs like Sail on Sailor. For instance, that song specifically is it didn't 
do anything in the UK at all. It wasn't pushed by the record company or anything at all. And I listened to that song and I think, that's one of their great songs, but it's lost to the annals of time. But it's incredible, everything that's going on in that song, the changes that are going on in there, the different contrasting sections, the arrangement, uh, Blondie's vocal on there is amazing, and the harmonies on there, where you've got them doing contrasting harmonies with each other. But that was always something yeah. that I loved about the Beach Boys anyway. They'd already found the mark by this point, because I've pointed out in our show that you've got some of the earlier songs where they've started with the lead vocal, uh, occasionally gets harmonised, and then you've got this harmony thing going on here, but then you've got a completely different harmony going over there with all the incredible <laughs> instrumentation. Eventually, in 66, you've got all this instrumentation that's doing all these different things uh, that work together and complement, but they're not all doing the same thing. Right. I just find it amazing how this brain of Brian and then Carl, who became incredible at doing it himself and arranging as well, they just had this in their head to be able to do it right. So you do that there. Blah, 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 blah. You do that over there. This there. This instrument's doing that. They're all going to double that instrument up. You're going to do something completely different to that instrument. But it works. It works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, he, he would assign the parts to different musicians and they, they would look at their part or they might play through it and they'll go, uh, are you sure? Because this doesn't. I, Brian was like, yeah, that sounds fine. Just do it. But then you would hear all the parts together and it all fit. And it was like Brian was already hearing that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's the whole thing's fascinating. I find everything about the Beach Boys fascinating, uh, their whole story and their whole catalog. So and, you know, to be I mean, I guess it's obvious the way this conversation is going. But I am coming f to this show from the perspective of a Beach Boys fan. Yeah. As far as the Beatles go, I'm generally familiar with their story. And I do know their big songs. Like I know all their singles, yeah. but this series that we're doing, this podcast series is also largely a chronicle of my personal Beatles discovery. Cause we're digging into these albums for me, a lot of times for the very first time ever. And we are not coming at this with a chip on our shoulder. Like we're going to prove the beach boys are better. That's not what this is about. Yeah. We are completely objective and we have no problem going well, the, Beatles win this matchup. You know, if we think they deserve it, we will say so. Yeah. And I am excited to have this journey and to learn so much more about what the Beatles did because there are so many songs I'm hearing for the very first time ever that I'm loving. There are others that I've heard the title and I knew it was well regarded, but I just didn't know it. And and now I love those songs too. So it's it's been fun to... Um, to, to learn like this. Um, a couple of things I've learned that I did not know. This is how clueless I was. Like I could have named all their big singles, but I just assumed they were on the albums. Like, why are they not on the albums? Yeah. <laughs> not there. Yeah. No. It, like it continues to blow my mind. Um, it's, it's going to hurt them in our show because we're, we're doing album versus album matchups. And some of their best songs are just not available to us in this, in what we're doing. Um, and the other thing I, that I've, the big takeaway, like the new thing I've learned as we've gone through these, go through the early era of the Beatles is exactly how country and Western influence they were. Yeah. The, there's a lot of 
uh, rockabilly and old Grand Ole Opry style yeah. country that I would not have guessed was going to be in their sound. And it really is. It comes up a lot. So that's the kind of things I'm learning. And so we're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Hey, this is Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting, a show that helps podcasters plan, launch, and grow their podcast. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. Hey, it's Rena, host of the Better Call Daddy Show, a show for daddies, girls, inspirational fathers, and a little bit of daddy drama. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. But I mean, with with that that I said there, it's it's interesting because I think Jackson will probably see this as being a fan of both. Is that I see a correlation or the a similarity between Brian and Paul in a way because um although in a in a way Paul McCartney had a problem there because he has this same thing where he is he has a gem of an idea of a song but he has all the parts in his head there essentially which which I think is what used to drive the other members of the Beatles crazy a lot of the <laughs> time is because whoever's song it is if it wasn't seeming to be moving along and they weren't getting the parts in time or whatever, you, you can almost see it in a sense. I, I find it if I'm, an, if I'm a musician and I've written a song or something, I'll be like, and I've got to keep my mouth shut and pull away from it because yeah. in a band, you're supposed to like, the whole idea is that everybody puts their own spin essentially on the song that you bring in. And they do their own, you know, it, it's that's why it's a band. But as a creative person, sometimes if it takes a bit long to get there, you can get a bit niggly. And I think Paul McCartney probably got that where he's getting niggly and he's saying, well, you play this blah, 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 and he'll play, he'll play it for them. Or you do this. Then he'll say to this person, you play that Ringo, you do this on the drums, which niggled the other members of the Beatles, but in the Beach Boys situation, it was completely different because Brian was always accepted in that position after Murray had, had gone away as the producer and Brian had naturally become that anyway because he'd always say, oh, Murray would say something and then it's famous that then, you know, the, the engineer would then probably, you know, they wouldn't hear what's going on and, and Brian would just turn around and go, no, guys, you can do this, this and this. Don't take any notice of what he says. But that was always accepted by the Beach Boys. So there's similarity where they both have that innate ability to just know everything, hear everything in their heads and know what needs to be done. Whereas Brian was accepted and Paul wasn't. Yeah, I think the Beach Boys members were just a lot more willing to let Brian take the wheel. Because I, I think what was happening was they they were going into it thinking they were going to be, you know, a, a normal band, local band, maybe get a, f a few big things going, but nothing too crazy. And then, uh, you know, slowly but surely, all of uh, Brian's ideas start, you know, gaining national attention. So I think it was more like, whereas the Beatles, you had a ton of songwriters in there. Basically, everybody was writing songs. The Beach Boys, it was, there weren't a lot of songwriting going on besides Brian. So I feel like they were 
because no one else pretty much wrote songs at this point, they're pretty much fine with letting Brian take the lead on everything. So that that I think that helped him a lot because if if we had Mike if we had Michael writing some some baseline stuff besides the lyrics, there might have been not as successful as a career. Yeah, Brian was clearly the leader. One, one thing that's amazing, you know, you have to consider what the record industry was like for the teen market artists in the early '60s, and they were basically not taken seriously by the labels. Like they were, they were the artist was just a cog in the wheel. And it was a product that the label owned and they were used to controlling everything. And it took innovators like the Beach Boys and the Beatles to to exert their own autonomy and their own control to, to, to actually write their own material. That was not all that common. And the amazing thing with, with Brian is that he was essentially producing the albums in the studio from the very beginning. For the first two albums, he did not have the official credit. They were working inside Capitol Records Tower with a staff producer present. But when they got, by the time they got to their third album, they had the, I guess, the, the leverage to kind of dictate terms a little bit. And this was a large credit, I think, can go to Murray Wilson for pulling this off. But they got away from Capitol. They recorded in a different location. And Brian took over as the official producer of the records. So he's still very young, 21, maybe years old, and he is controlling, he is at the controls. And that was really just about unheard of at that point in history. And the Beatles were also writing their own material. I I think George Martin remained their official producer of record throughout their stint. Of course, as they evolved as artists, George Martin's role changed, you know, from being hands-on producer to more of a facilitator because he, to Martin's credit, you know, he recognized their development and let, and got out of their way, you know, let them have that leeway. But Brian was always the guy, Brian was Lennon, McCartney and Martin all in one. Yeah. And he felt the pressure of when the Beatles blew up and he saw them as his competition and they were this incredible global force that, that was one of those burdens that kind of, you know, led to his psychotic break. So, and, but again, a wrinkle though. So you're right. In in those early days, Brian was clearly the leader of the group and the songwriting force. What's interesting about the Beatles, of course, you had Paul, uh, Paul and John equal songwriters really from the beginning going back and forth. And I love George Harrison's story of how he kind of came along slowly and really blossomed late as his own, as a songwriter in his own right. And, you know, I'm kind of amazed. I mean, think about it. You're trying to write songs and Paul McCartney and John Lennon are in your band. Like how do you even have the courage to try, you know, to write songs? Yeah. Um, And of course he gave us amazing stuff. We kind of get a parallel with the beach boys, you know, as the sixties were winding down and Brian was receding other members of the group, like you were alluding to were stepping up and we were, it became a more democratic process by the turn of the decade where they were getting songwriting contributions from other members of the band. And I would say that Dennis Wilson is the parallel to George Harrison yeah. in terms yeah. of just being a late bloomer, you know, proven to be an incredible songwriter but you just didn't necessarily know it at the beginning of their career. 
No, I mean, I mean, um, Dennis with his writing, there's something about it that's not like the others. Where, where Dennis wrote, Dennis wrote a song, and no matter, I don't think, however you are as a person, you can't help but well up at some of his some of his songs because there's so much heart and and everything to his lyrics and so much emotion in, in those songs that his songs were just incredibly beautiful, simple in some ways. Dennis's songs were in comparison, uh, you know, writing wise and, you know, progression wise and things like that and how he wrote them musically, but still that doesn't deter from the fact. In fact, I think it helps push that, sense of emotion that's innately in Dennis's writing. Uh, yeah, Dennis, Dennis's strength as a songwriter or as a composer was in capturing a certain emotion. Yeah. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't the same artist Brian was. He didn't have the same strengths Brian did, but he was really good at capturing emotion, you know, and capturing a feeling. And so, um, and you see that all over his solo album, Pacific, Pacific Ocean Blue. Yeah. And um, the the song that really affects me the most is one that did not see official release until just within the last 10 years or so. That is, Wouldn't It Be Nice to Live Again, yeah. which was a song that was available in 1971 to, to go on their Surf's Up album. And Carl was kind of controlling those sessions and... Carl and Dennis had a disagreement about where to place that song on the album sequence. Dennis, they, Dennis insisted it be the closer and Carl was not going to give it that spot. And so Dennis took the song away and it went into the vault. And for 25, 30 years, um, you know, only very few people heard it, but it was never officially released, but now we have it. And, it, it's so incredible just in terms of what I'm talking about with Dennis being able to just capture emotion and just give it this big feeling. That's a song that if, the, if it's not being respected enough in the room, I'll turn it off. I won't finish it because if, if you aren't paying attention to it, it doesn't deserve to be relegated to the background. You know, we're going to wait until we can really listen to this song. So, so I mean, we've already we haven't even gone to gone to the first first question on the on the uh, on the bullet bullet list yet. You, you got to keep us in our lane. Keep us in the lane, or we'll go on forever. My, my idea is with my show that I I have the list of points that I want to hit, but if we go on any tangents that are interesting, we're going there. Okay, that's the whole idea. Essentially, it's introducing people to who you are as presenters, what your show's about, and it's it's almost like a micro-introduction to you. That's the whole idea. So what what's your previous experience with podcasting then? Because, well, both listening, how did you start listening to podcast, and were you both been on podcasts before? I'll let Jackson start. What do you say? Uh, well, I've never been on a podcast before. Um I, I did start listening to podcasts recently. There's a Ceylon, uh, which is a Beach Boys podcast, yeah. um, and I, I listen to them. Uh, the, it's a very good podcast. It, it taught me a lot of what I know about the Beach Boys. Um, and I've listened to a couple of Beatles podcasts, but really, uh, and some Chili Peppers podcasts. But besides that, besides ones about bands that I, I really, really care about, 
I wouldn't say I listen to a ton. Um, and I don't think I've ever made a guest appearance on one before, but, uh, you know, it's been fun to, to get into it, I guess, and start recording. Um, you, my dad's done a ton and he'll tell you about that, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of new to the game. And if anybody has suggestions of ones that I listen to, I will be happy to get in. Yeah. Before we go to your dad. You, you you do know that the guys that do sail on are also members of a really good Beach Boys cover band, don't you? Yes, we have, we've seen them many times. So great yeah, guys. We've seen them just several times, and we we know those guys. They're fantastic. They are. Uh, we may even have a member of that group make a cameo appearance in our series before we're done. So we'll Brilliant. see. <laughs> so, David, you've had experience on a few podcasts. Uh, yes, I have. I um. I've been on several dozen, probably at least a couple of dozen. Um, a good friend of mine, Van Plexico, started the White Rocket Entertainment Network mm, ten or eleven years ago, where he's it's just general pop culture. We met through comic book fandom. I'm big into comics, and so was he. And that's how we first met. He got into podcasting around 2012, I think, and and I've made multiple appearances over the years talking about whether it's comic books or movies or anything pop culture like that. So that kind of got my feet wet. Um, I, I do need to mention probably my biggest influence on this show that we're doing. It is a fantastic 80s and 90s pop culture podcast. It is called Surely You Can't Be Serious. Uh, I'm great friends with those guys there. I've become friends with them. I was a fan of the show first before I got to know them. But they, they will compare movies or yep. albums in a 1v1 format. So the way we've structured our episodes mirrors exactly what they do. So we we are taking inspiration from their work, but they stay focused on the 80s and 90s for whatever artist they want to cover. But we're taking that format and we're applying it strictly to the discographies of the Beatles and the Beach Boys. So we're kind of we're safely outside of their territory, but we're absolutely following their format. Um, so I want to give a big shout out to those guys. I've been on their show a couple of times. And Jackson forgot this, but he actually did appear on a Patreon episode that they have. He and I uh, uh, did an episode with them on Kokomo, the song from 1988. Right. So um, I, I want to, I've also been on other shows that I want to shout out because they've given me a lot of support as we do this project. Docking Bay 77 podcast, again, just general pop culture. They have covered Let's see. I believe the White Album and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band yep. and either Rubber Soul or Revolver. I'm blanking on it right now. But anyway, the, the, that's a lot of fun. Those guys are great. And then there's also the podcast called A Film By. And what Jeff Johnson does over there is he looks at the filmographies of well-known directors and he picks one that's a little more obscure. That's not one of their big hits. And they study that movie. And all those guys behind the scenes have been extremely helpful to me as we get our show off the ground. So I want to give all those guys a shout out. So, yeah, so I've done a lot of podcasting. So I've gotten comfortable on the microphone. Um, I'm also a video production professional. So yep. I'm comfortable editing video and audio. And so I'm kind of handling the post-production on, on our show also. So we, we kind of keep it in-house, I guess. I'm on a train. My name's Owen Link. Between writing books, I want to say you're listening to Pods Like Us, live from a train.
I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And we're from the Spy Hards Podcast. That's right, and you are listening to Pods Like Us, the podcast that also has the Midas touch. Have you learned from being on those shows as a guest anything that you're going to take through to this and help you with the production of this show? Well, I would say be prepared, you know, spend time making sure you know your material and then also just speaking with confidence. And the main thing is be passionate about what you're talking about. So um, I would say those I would say those are the big ones. Absolutely. So, show, so what, what is the actual structure that you're working towards then uh, for each episode? Is it a set structure that you have each thing? Does it go a certain way throughout the episode? Do you have a thing that you follow? Do you want to describe a typical uh, episode? Yeah. So basically, most of the time, I'll be handling uh, the episodes that deal with the Beatles album, so I'll be leading the discussion kind of thing. And when we're doing a Beach Boys album, my dad will kind of take over. Um, but we usually start the episode out with um, facts about what's go- what was happening around the time of the album, uh, what what state the band was in, you know, uh, interesting things that might have happened during the recording sessions, uh, and you know, fun little notes, stuff like that. And then once we're done with that, we'll uh, basically just go uh, song by song, uh, play little clips of each uh, each track, and just give our thoughts on it. Um, uh, sometimes we'll just give our opinions on it where there's not much information about the song, but uh, you know if it if it's if it's a big one, then we'll usually uh, dig and uh, find some fun facts about it and some notes and maybe break it down musically sometimes. And, uh, you know, by the end of the show, um, if we're just starting a comparison, we're not really going to give our opinion on the album as a whole yet. But if we are like, if we're doing Pet Sounds versus Revolver, if we've already done Pet Sounds and now we're doing Revolver, we'll give our opinion on Revolver and Pet Sounds and then decide which one we like better and why. Yeah. So so every episode starts off with a general discussion to give context for the album. Yep. And then we'll go through track by track. And what we largely do is give our opinions. So that's that's the safest way to not get anything wrong. Um, you know, we we we're not looking to be an exhaustive source of knowledge on the stories of these two bands and hardcore people that know absolutely everything might be able to pick us apart a little bit. Um, I feel like we got it right, you know, and but we certainly have enough to kind of, like I say, set the table for each album that we're talking about. And then, and then we focus just on what do you think of that one? What do you think of that one? And we just kind of assess the album as a whole. And then at the end of the two parter, we pick our winners. So it's, um, it's, it's been interesting. Sometimes we'll agree with each other. Sometimes we don't. Some of these though are so hard. Like it just breaks your heart to have to choose. And it's really amazing how closely these albums match up you know as again as they were stepping through the decade the way they were kind of evolving parallel to each other they they remain good matchups all the way through and it's like for example if you're someone who's familiar with the all summer long album and the hard day's night album what a tough 
choice to have to make, you know, <laughs> yeah. and there's multiple cases where like, first on, on one hand, well, you can't get it wrong because they're both good choices. On the other hand, you, you're, you're breaking your own heart because you feel like you're doing the other one an injustice. It, it, can, it can get really tough, but it's, uh, but in every case, you know, I'm just reminded of how great both of these groups really are. So just to spend a day immersed in their music and in their story, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I really like just discovering all these new songs that I've never heard before. Like there's, there's been, uh, let's see, there was, uh, the night before, uh, what was that early, uh, Beatle? Oh, uh, please Mr. Postman. Like those are two Beatles songs that I had never heard before that I absolutely love now. So it's been great to discover some, some new stuff. Yeah. My favorite discoveries have been, don't bother me. Yep. Uh, no reply. I still like that. I still think about yep. that one a lot. I know he's not thinking about it right now, but he and I both love "You're Gonna Lose That Girl." Oh yeah, yep. from Help. I think I already knew that one, but I do. I do. I, I do love that song. And I've just seen a face. That was another big discovery for me. And you didn't know Norwegian Wood. Either. I, I I had heard the name Norwegian Wood, but I never heard the song. And so that that song blew me away. You know. So it's, and, and all this gets captured, you know, in our episodes, you'll, I'll be like, wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. So uh, where we are right now, like I said, we, um, we're going to publish our first episode on February 7th. I don't know when this episode you and I are doing is going to come out, but we sit here um, with half the episodes already recorded. Like, so we're right now in the middle of Pet Sounds versus Revolver. Pet okay. Sounds is an album that is deeply meaningful to me, and it goes beyond just listening to music and saying, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I have a very strong emotional connection to that music, and I need to hear it on a regular basis. And I'm really digging into Revolver for the very first time. Yeah. And my eyes <laughs> are opened, and it's suddenly what I thought was going to be the easiest choice in this series for me is the hardest and so it's that's where we are right now we're still we're still uh kind of making our way through that matchup but uh these will come out on a weekly basis so i'm projecting this to run till about june or july okay so it's it's a specific time one that times show i've re I've realized that it's so you're going from album to album and then so you've got that journey there and that's the end of the show is it after you've got to that that's place. Yeah. So as everybody knows, Let It Be was actually produced before Abbey Road. So yep. in the order in which it was worked on and pr produced by the band, Abbey Road comes last. Yep. And as it turns out, it, it's a better natural matchup to have to cover Let It Be first in our series. So we're going to cover Let It Be versus 2020, okay. which was the album from the Beach Boys that was kind of ad hoc a little bit. A lot of great songs on there, but it wasn't really approached as an album project. It's more like, you know, just kind of pulled from different sources of how they different put that sections. material together. Yeah. Right. And then Abbey Road and Sunflower, that becomes a, a better natural matchup. Sunflower is where Pet Sounds might be Brian Wilson's best album. Sunflower might be the Beach Boys' best album. It's a it's more of a group effort. It's the most democratic uh, effort from the band, lots of different people contributing to the songwriting, and it's it's very highly regarded. And again, I'm sitting here, I, I know Abbey Road by reputation, but I, I'm going to learn what's on that album. So um, 
And once we do that, that that's going to be our final matchup, Abbey Road versus Sunflower, which basically takes us to 1970. And then we'll be done. So um, I don't know what could come after that for us because this is a 1v1 uh, format, you know, and the Beatles ended at, at that time. I know they had solo careers and the Beach Boys continued to have quality albums, at least for a little while. But I don't know if there's space for us to really do it the way we want to. You know, I don't know if we can keep that. I don't know if we'd want to keep it going at that point. But, um, you know, <laughs> I'll put it out there. If anybody's doing Beach Boys podcast or music podcast and yeah. they'd like they'd like us on to talk about those other Beach Boys albums. Or Chili Peppers albums. Uh, he's I a mean, big yep. he's a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. So, yeah, we're have Mike will travel. <laughs> I saw the Chili's at uh, Wembley Arena in 96. About that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually getting to see him for the first time live uh, in Ohio. I think in March, right? Cincinnati in July. Yeah. Oh, July. Okay. They put a show yeah. on. They're gonna. Yeah, they do. They're gonna be in. Uh, they're gonna be at Bonnaroo, uh, in which is like only an hour or something away from us. Uh, it's a big music festival. But you know, yeah, it's a huge music festival. But I'm not gonna be able to go because. I'm not going to be able to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan and pretty much all of my personal music is very much Chili Pepper inspired, John Frusciante inspired. Yeah, so our our doing this podcast is is alongside his incredible blossoming as a musician. He didn't get it from us. I, I, we're not musicians, but he's um, he's just in the last year and a half, two years, he's taken off as a guitarist. And it's just been incredible to behold. He plays bass and keyboards and drums too. It's, it's ridiculous. But um, I thought he was going to stay on the Beach Boys with me, but he quickly moved on. Now he's he's mainly Chili Peppers and Nirvana and people like that. 90s. 90s and indie stuff. So, yep. sorry. <laughs> well, you could always put some Beach Boys styled harmonies in there. Yeah, I mean. Hey, your YouTube, you mash them up. That is true. There, there's some Be there's some Beatles courses that line up with some Chili Pepper stuff, and sometimes I combine them when I find that they fit together. So, it's fun. Like for instance, uh, here comes the sun matches up with the chorus of the Zypher song. Yeah. So th those are easy to blend. And he's got that on his YouTube channel. Yeah. Even easy, even easier blend is to go from come together to give it away. I yes, I'm sure that is easy. I haven't even learned that on bass, but I can hear the similarities. He'll work on that now. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Flea said that it was inspired by that. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. All right. Very good. They have they have a cover of Come Together. It's on YouTube somewhere, but, you know, it's just outtakes. But anyway, rabbit hole. <laughs> Some great covers by the Chili Peppers. Um, what was I going to say? If I mean, if you're doing Revolver, there's another thing altogether there because if you're doing the originally intended British release of, of Revolver, that makes it even more difficult because that is a band album more so than the American releases. And the, the originally intended album is an incredibly rich, full album that goes all over the place musically. And so that makes it even more difficult. Well, I can tell you, we are doing the UK discography. Yeah. Um, the the US discography is a big jumbled mess. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't want to try to spend the brain power on sorting it out. Um, I do know that 
when they began to release the catalog on CD in 1987, that's when, I guess it was EMI, um, standardized the discography. And they basically said, okay, forget all those weird North American releases. This is the only discography that counts. And it was basically the UK, the original UK discography. Yeah. I think the only exception for, for this new standardized discography, everything was UK except maybe Yellow Submarine. They kept the American lineup for that. Maybe I might have that wrong, but I think that's right. So, yeah, so Rubber Soul and Revolver, I think starting with Rubber Soul, at least the names of the albums were the same in the UK yep. and the US, but the contents of those albums were different. And of course, prior to Rubber Soul, they had all kinds of made up album names and stuff. And so we don't mess with that. We don't try to get in the weeds of that. And I do understand that, you know, when we say the Beach Boys or Brian Wilson was inspired by the Beatles, he was probably hearing the American releases but still, we're going to stick with the UK discography because my attitude is that was what the Beatles wanted. I mean, that's what the yeah. Beatles put out. They're the artists, and this is this is what they were doing. And so, why give weight to the mucking about of record executives in California? Let's let's see what the Beatles were giving us. So we're just we're just sticking with that official discography. Yeah, because the American release, John was given really short shrift on the American release of of Revolver, where three, I think three of the songs that he wrote didn't end up on the American release because they were placed somewhere else, I think on the Oldies and Goldies album or something. Well, I think they they came out ahead of Revolver release in like June of 66. They were on the American release called Here Today and Yesterday or something like that. Um, So they... The songs they had ready for Revolver at that early stage were all John songs. So they were given to Capitol Records in the United States. And so when it came time for the U.S. version of Revolver, those songs were off the table. And so, yeah, John's a lot of John's stuff was had already seen release on some weird American release. So, um, like I said, it's a mess. I wish they hadn't done it. You know, it not only does it make it confusing, but everybody everybody kind of experienced the band differently. And you would like to think that the greatest band in history would have had control over how their material was presented. So it's unfortunate, but we're just, like I said, we're sticking with that UK discography. Yeah. I'm trying to think now, if you'd have gone into the 70s in the solo careers, what, what would have been up against Paul McCartney's band on the wings, band on the run in 73? 73 was the Holland album. That was Sail on Sailor. Yeah. That's too Yeah, that was good still Blondie Chap against each yeah. other. That's mm. one that has a lot of gems on it that not a lot of people have heard. Have I got that right? No, 72 was Holland. 72 is Carl and the Passions. 73 was Holland. Yeah. Right? I think that's right. Both, <laughs> both great albums. Yes, that's right. That's right. I like Carl and the Passions as well. It took me a long time, really. I mean, I like, I like, I love Carl and the Passions. I need, I need a mess of help to stand alone. Marcella, all this is that. Here she comes is one of my favorite Beach Boy songs. Period. Here she comes was from hmm. Holland, or is that from? That's from Carl and the Passions. Okay. Carl and the Passions. So yeah. bluesy. I've th- those three that I named. I've always liked. I've been slow to come around the rest of the album, but I have gotten there. I've, I've. 
it's um I've warmed I've warmed up to it. Same with Holland. Like mm. what how their sound changed when Blondie and Ricky joined the band. For a long time, I, I didn't fully appreciate that, but now, just in recent years, is I've also become a more of a fan of the blues. I appreciate more what they were bringing to the group, yeah. and so all that stuff in that era from the early seventies, I, I now like a lot more than I did just a few years ago. So, yeah, I think I think here she comes is honestly it, it makes beyond my Beach Boys playlist. It's made a lot of my just normal playlist. I just think that's a great song that not a lot of people have heard. Yeah, there's stuff. And then and then more in the Holland timeline, there's yeah. songs like We Got Love yeah. and what, Leaving This Town? Leaving This Town and uh, yeah, Only With You is also a great one. Only With You is fantastic. The Beach Boys put out a box set of material from this specific era just a couple years ago. They called it Sell On. Or they called it Sail on Sailor. And um, there's a, there were a lot of 70s tracks from this specific time period on there that really opened my eyes. There's some, there's a song called uh, Oh Sweet Something. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so the 70s, they really had a lot of they had a good, lot of good stuff. I just wish people knew about it. This is Mac Jackson from the Forever Adventure Network the home of the MacGyver podcast, the Never Gets Old podcast, and the MacGyver SG-1 audio series. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. Hey, this is Chris from Podtastic Audio, the show that I have created to help you create your amazing podcast. And you are listening to Pods Like Us. Yeah, I think I think when they got Ricky and Blondie involved in the group, I think it's added a certain um, almost rawness to the group in a sense where you'd already got that those beautiful harmonies and the great great arrangements already, and then they came in, and yeah, it it, it added a bit of something else to it in in essence that took it. Maybe maybe pulled away the production slightly to a degree, but it actually pushed in a way who they were as a band a lot more because there's a lot more live band wise anyway before the vocals go on. A lot of the actual instrumentation on there is live in the studio, the band, and you can hear that in there. It's got that band feel to it where they're playing together and then they overdub the vocals later and layer that on and everything. And they gave that to the band in essence, but then the eighties come along and Mike takes it all the way back to the production sort of sheen of the the beach boys. (laughs) Yeah. So what you're talking about there from around really around 71, they had a new manager take over the group, Jack Riley, and it became his focus to make the group more socially plugged in you know, a little more political. And he kind of he kind of aimed for that counterculture Rolling Stone audience, Rolling Stone magazine audience. And he, they were successful. And so they be, they began opening shows for the Grateful Dead and stuff, you know, at a time when people, you know, the Beach Boys were still very uncool. And they won over that counterculture crowd. And and that that period of time in the early 70s when Blondie and Ricky were were with them. What you're talking about is exactly right. As a matter of fact, 
that's that is pretty much the consensus opinion is that that was the band at their best as a live performing unit. Like that was their peak era as a live act. And it's captured in, they did a live album that also came out in 73 called in concert. And that era of the band is captured on that album. And it's highly regarded and generally considered their best live album. Yeah. Yeah. And I know Brian has said in interviews that when he when he went there when they were doing the recording, and and he was uh, and he produced like Sail on Sailor and was involved with a few of the other songs on the album. I've heard in interviews Brian say that he went there and he was surprised because he went there and he had a lot of fun and enjoyed actually the musicality that the band had at that point. In essence, he said that it made it easier for him in some ways to be able to communicate with the band because they were all really good musicians at that point with them in the band. And, and Carl was amazing as a guitarist at that point, as well as Al. Yeah. And Carl also stepped up in the early seventies into a leadership role yeah. when Brian was probably at a low point with his mental health. And so what Carl did, especially in the early seventies, not only was this his peak time as a songwriter, but he was also leading the band and like I said, he was the one kind of calling the shots on the sequencing of that of their 1971 album where he and Dennis were butting heads. Um, but they were also, they had set up a home studio in Brian's home. Yeah. And they basically made it easy for him. Like, look, Brian, we're just going to be down here working. If you ever want to join us, you can just walk on in. You know, and because at this point he was cracked, you know, yeah. and he didn't want to have the pressure of producing hits anymore. And, but you know, when he was inspired to make music, you know, the band was always very open to that. So we got some great stuff. That's, I would say the, the Beach Boys consistently made good albums up through 1973. Yeah. At the very least, you can say there's a gap after that. People point to the Love, to the Love You album in 1977 as like that last great album. And opinions kind of split on that. But even if you do count it, you have to acknowledge that there's kind of a gap between Holland and love you. So, and then and what you were saying, you know, after that, once the eighties got here and they lost Dennis, you know, and Mike kind of rose to power, I think politically within the band and it became more of what he wanted it to be, you know, and then they quit bothering with albums to the large part and just, were happy to stay in their early 70s, early 60s, you know, surf and sand sound and just stay on the road all the time, which is fine. I mean, yep. we we saw them as recently as last year. Yeah. And we'll okay. still go and have a good time with it. Those songs are still fun. We, at the same time, we know that does not represent the artistic height of what the band did in their career. And we would like for more people to know about it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit like 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 we were hinting at before we we officially started the program. We we're hinting at this that you know you've got the two different sides of the coin where you've got Mike was touring his version of the Beach Boys, which was looking at that sort of era. But then on the other hand, if you wanted that sort of material, that's that sort of peak period for a lot of it. If you go and see Brian's band 
then you're going to get a lot of then you're going to get some of that in there because you've got Al involved and you've got Blondie involved as well. So you'll get those bits in there. So you almost get if you go and see both bands, you're getting the best best of both worlds essentially of the Beach Boys. Yes, I was very fortunate. I saw Brian solo tours six or seven times, and he came on late. And he was we had tickets to go see Brian, and before that date could arrive, Brian retired from the road, but. Brian's band was fantastic. I'm using the past tense. I don't think Brian's ever going to perform again. Um, but I, I, where my light turned on, where I went from a casual fan to a deep catalog disciple was in the year 2000 when I saw the first Pet Sounds tour. Yeah. And I saw Brian perform. The middle set of that concert was the Pet Sounds album in its entirety with his incredible band. That night changed my life, and I became, you know, hardcore after that, I guess you could say. Just a few short years later, in 2004, he had completed Smile and was touring it, and I was able to see that tour also. And that was incredible to me, that there I was in the year 2004. I wasn't born until 1971, okay? And the Smile was this legendary lost project that represented Brian's downfall and the Beach Boys downfall. And it was this great tragedy. And here we are with a happy ending. Whoever would have guessed that Brian Wilson would be touring at all, that he would finish Smile, and that I would have a chance to see this material performed live in front of me. It was just incredible to realize that the Beach Boys aren't just some oldie act that I happened to discover, but they were from, that were actually from before my time. Not at all. Their story was still actively being written, and I was getting to witness this incredible comeback story, this this incredible ending to the smile story. You know, so it was uh, it was it, it, that was powerful. So I've been a Brian Wilson fan. You talk about the two sides of the coin, Brian Wilson and Mike Love. I'm a fan of both. Yep. I love everything that Brian Wilson represents and what that means. You know, I'm talking about this deep catalog very reverentially. But I'll also go see Mike and Bruce tour and sing Little Deuce Coop and Barbara Ann, and I'll have a great time, you know. So I just, uh, I'm just, I guess I'm a sucker. I enjoy all of it. I'm guessing that both bands, both versions do heroes and villains, do they? Or, does, or is that just a Brian? I believe that's just Brian. Yeah. It's just For a long time, Brian would open his show with Our Prayer and and then maybe go straight into Heroes and Villains. Um, yeah, fantastic. I mean, yeah, you're, you're speaking my language. Fantastic music. But for the most part, I don't think Mike does that one. It, just like Brian doesn't do Kokomo. Yeah, Brian will never do Kokomo. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Decent song, but it's not a Brian. Uh, it's not Brian. Not, yeah. not Brian. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> but um, so research, I'm guessing the research is, is listening to the songs and just reacting to them, essentially. Yeah, the well, like I said, um, we will like listen to podcasts or watch YouTubers that are diving deep into these two bands. Like right now, uh, I just have watched a couple of videos about the production process behind Revolver, what Jeff yep. Emmerich was doing in the studio and the innovations he brought. You know, I'm very interested in that kind of stuff. You know, you're gonna you're gonna stuff a sweater in a drum and close mic it and get a different sound. I mean. It's, you know, shoot it into my veins. Tell me, tell me all, tell me all of that. 
So um, we'll, we'll equip ourselves with knowledge like that, but we're not trying to position ourselves as any kind of expert. We're just trying to lay out the context for the story, and then we just get into our opinions. But I, I mean, just just very quickly, going going off on another one here with that tangent thing. Uh, so um, I mean, that that experimentalism carried on with them afterwards, you know, because you you know when Paul McCartney made his second homemade album, uh, McCartney Two. There's actually images of the fact that he would have, and, and I, I mean, me, me I, I love this. I'd love to do this, but I think I get into trouble, you know, for, <laughs> for doing this at home. But he put a microphone down an emptied toilet. Essentially, he emptied the toilet and stopped water from being able to go. So he, he cancelled the plumbing as well from it. So he turned off the tap. So he, he emptied the toilet, turned off the tap, and put a microphone in the toilet, <laughs> essentially, to get the resonance of the to- of of how a snare drum sounded with the microphone in the toilet. So he got the <laughs> resonance of the toilet's echo. <laughs> hey, what, whatever it takes to get the sound, you know. So that's something you know that I'm learning is once they made the decision to not tour anymore. They were cut free of the restraints of having to figure out how to actually perform these songs, which just opened up the possibilities of how to create the sounds. And so they just did whatever they wanted to get this this new sound of what they were going for, you know? So they were directly using the technology itself to create the sound instead of, instead of using the recording technology to capture their performance. They're actually using the technology to create the sound in the first place, you know, which doesn't sound too innovative in 2024, but in 1966 or whatever, I mean, this, this was, they were blazing new ground, you know, so it's just, it's really fascinating to, to find out about all that kind of stuff. I mean, I find that stuff more fascinating because like you said, nowadays in a studio, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It sounds strange to some people from, from whatever, but nowadays you'll have what's called a plugin that you'll essentially, you'll just go, Oh, I want this sort of echo. Oh, that's all right. You can get it with this. And then they'll play about with the device or they'll switch something, this, that, and the other. But even myself, when I've been in the studio, I used to work in a studio as admin and do tape op work. This is pre-digital. So, um, or they didn't have digital anyway, they had analog. And what I ended up doing was things like, I decided once just, I thought, oh, I'm going to book the studio for two weeks. And I booked the whole of this studio that I worked in. I booked there for two weeks because I got a discount for the fact that I work there. Uh, So during the day I'd booked it, during the day for two weeks, solid. And then in the night, they still had people coming to record in there. But they'd come, and but they'd come early, about half an hour early some, or something, and this band, one of them, was there for about six of those days that I was there for two weeks, and they just said to me, they said, whatever you've done, leave it like that, and we'll use how you've set the studio up, essentially. So they were lucky enough to have things like, it was a four-storey building. No, it wasn't. It was three stories. So... I had a microphone at the top of the stairs and a microphone at the bottom of the stairs permanently to be able to get those sounds. You know, if I'm playing an instrument like I play a penny whistle, I'd play that in the middle of the stairs to get the natural echo. 
and add that to the close mic as well. And then we'd have all these microphones all over the place and they're able to use my tambura that I left there as well. They use that on a, on the background of a heavy metal song, crying out <laughs> loud. Wow, wow. You know, they played my tambura on a heavy metal song, which is just weird. Just to get that like drone in the scent in this bit there, but in the background, which was quite right. cool. But I was doing all of these experiments myself of trying to say, right, what's that like? And then we had a dustbin, a metal dustbin, had a microphone inside there to get the sound inside a metal dustbin as well, which was just this experimentalism is just fascinating. And and today they just click a menu item and you know, <laughs> like the uh, for tomorrow never knows, you know, where they're making the analog tape loops and they're and they're and they're running it all down the hallway and out of the room and everything just to get the and you know today it's it's a click of a button, it's a pull down menu. But so yeah, I, I kind of maybe I romanticize it a little bit, but I, I really am fascinated by that analog pro, multi-track process and the things they had to do to capture these sounds. You know, um, it's I love hearing all the like Jeff. I, I ate up Jeff Emmerich's book a few years ago because I love I love just hearing about those kind of technical tricks behind the scenes stuff like that. I mean, not Beach Boys or uh, Beatles, but you've also got tricks like. Um, Hal Blaine was saying that, uh, yeah, I mean, he is, he did play, he did play some Beach Boy sessions quite a lot, actually. Hal yes. Blaine did mm-hmm. a lot of them. Mm-hmm. He's on the, um, I think he's doing, I think he's the drummer on the Christmas album. I think oh, yeah, he's, he's on a lot. Beach Boys Today. He's on the yeah. Summer Nights album. He's, he's all over the place. He's on Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds, yep. Uh, and so he, he was saying that when they did um, the very famous Simon and Garfunkel song, The, Bo- the Boxer, Mm-hmm. Where you've got that really that that really echoey drum on there, la la la, like that boom, like that. He was saying, Hal Blaine was saying that that was the Columbia Records officers. He was at the top of a of a of a lift shaft, and they had the doors stuck open upstairs up up on this floor that he was on. They had the those open. And at the bottom, four or five stories down, they had them open at the bottom with a microphone. And that, that you can hear, is actually the echo inside the lift shaft of Hal Blaine's drums. How about that? Cool. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know all this useless trivia, all these things. <laughs> you actually hear Hal Blaine playing Coke bottles on the beginning of Caroline No on Pet Sounds. That odd echoey little percussion as Hal Blaine playing Coke bottle. And nobody can say yes or no, I think, to whether that really is Paul McCartney chewing vegetables with um, Brian Wilson on vegetables. Yeah, on vest- that that is something that has skirted the line of is it an urban legend or not? But apparently he was there. I, I think I think we can say this. He was there and he ate vegetables on mic. Yep. The question is, did they actually use those takes in the record yep. i don't know yep. i think that's kind of where that landed but um going back to caroline no you know again revolver gets a lot of credit for the technical experimentation and one of the things they did was vera speeding right they would record yep. at one speed one part of a song at one speed knowing that they would play it back and mix it in at a different speed uh brian beat them to that because pet sounds was released in may of 66 
And Caroline No has actually done that way. They sped up Brian's voice by half a step. So that's actually Brian singing, but it didn't really sound quite like him. But that's no. why, because they were messing with playback speed. I'm for anybody watching, I'm actually looking online now because I'm trying to remember when did when did Rain come out by the Beatles? Rain, paperback Rider in Rain came out April or May of '66. Yeah, they they put those singles out before they were through with the Revolver sessions, and then Pet Sounds released May 16th of '66, which is right in the middle of the Revolver sessions. And Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys flew to London just to play Pet Sounds for the Beatles, or it might have been just Paul and John, but he took it over there for a private listen of this brand new album. And so that kind of got incorporated into what they're doing with the rest of Revolver. I think Sergeant Pepper was was definitely a reaction or the result of being inspired by Pet Sounds. But before Revolver was done, they were being influenced by what they heard on Pet Sounds. Like, I think Paul said that Here, There, and Everywhere was his reaction to hearing God Only Knows for the first yeah. time. So... Hey, I'm Mr. X. And I'm Caleb. Of the Mackie Rat, Rat Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> and you're listening to Pods Like Us with Marv. Anyways, here's to you, Marv. Hey, this is Danny from One Minute Podcast Tips, the show that helps you be a better podcaster in just a minute a week. And you're listening to Pods Like Us. Yep, I remember George Martin in a program that he did. He... Uh he was talking about the fact that he heard um, Pet Sounds himself before it came out. And he, he I mean, he still said that, that he said that uh, God Only Knows is one of his favorite songs of all time. That's George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, said that. But, and you know. Paul, Paul McCartney also said the same thing, that it was his favorite song of all time. And the reason I know that is that Mike Love reminds us of that every night on stage just before they play the song. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, obviously they were big fans of Pet Sounds. And, you know, and that's, to me, that was one of the compelling reasons to do our series was that uh, back and forth they had with each other from really, I think, starting with Today to Rubber Soul, Pet Sounds, Revolver, Sergeant Pepper and Smile. Yep. There was there was that arms race almost, but it wasn't there was no animosity. It was a friendly rivalry, but they were just pushing pushing each other and and taking music in a place that just it never would have gone, you know, without the two of them kind of going at it. And of course, it was at the Smile Project that things kind of just crashed for the Beach Boys. So they lost that competition. They crashed and burned. Beatles kept rolling strong and the Beach Boys had to find a way to recover and go forward. And, you know, and it was at that point that they got less and less Brian after that. But from from the Today album in 65 through Smile in 66, which correlates with Rubber Soul versus Sergeant all the way to Sergeant Pepper, that stretch right there is the absolute peak. There's a there's a bell curve to to the sixties for both these bands. And they're right there. That's, that's, that's the, that's the good part right there in the middle. Yeah. I mentioned rain because that, that rain was recorded at a faster speed. They, they played that at a faster speed. And then the version that everybody hears on the record of rain is actually slowed down. Right. 
Yep, that's right. And it's, uh, and it was, I think it was, I'm only sleeping where not only is that guitar solo played backwards, but it was written and performed with, with the idea of this will be backwards. I need to make this sound right, you know? And so, I mean, again, an example of being impossible to perform this live, who cares anymore? Let's just get a cool sound. And so now we're hearing backwards guitar solos. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's wild, but I love it. So um, re- recording and editing, you record it live, the two of you sat there as you are now to, you know, what, what, what you're using to record on and edit with. You want to handle recording? I'll talk about the sure. post. Yeah, so um, I have a Scar- Scarlet Focusrite and a Shure SM57 that I use for music. And I, we just plug that into the laptop and use that for uh, the microphone. And... Uh, I think we edit in Audacity, right? Yeah. Um, so the post-production happens there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty simple setup, just f- uh, audio interface, and then from that, the SM57 is what we use to record for Mike. I think when we started, we may have done the first two episodes over Zoom with just us in different rooms of the same house. Oh, that's right. And that turned out okay, but then there was a day where we had to kind of share the same computer and sit next to each other. And the rapport that we were able to get that way was an improvement. And so we've stuck with that uh, going forward. And so for audio editing, uh, frankly, you know, I just wanted to, to do something that wasn't going to cost me any money. And I'm very comfortable with the Adobe suite. But a friend of mine who has his own show was using Audacity. It took me a little bit of time to get used to the tools but it does everything I need it to do, right? So I'm just I'm just cutting our voice track and I will grab samples of songs and you can, you know, induct them under and get out of them smoothly. And that's really all I'm doing. So there's there's never more than two layers on the project and it, it does everything I need. It's not the most sophisticated program in the world, but it fits my budget and it does everything I need it to do. So we'll just stick with that. That's cool. Because there's no episodes come out yet, I don't know whether you've got show music um, to the show, but I do like the the logo as well. What Have you got show music? No, we don't. We considered that, and I actually reached out to, to a producer, and I won't name him because it didn't work out, and um, I would love for it to still work out. But I, I, my idea was to find a way to mix Beatles and Beach Boys music together, you know, kind of like in a DJ style. Um, we we haven't been able to work that out, but so we don't have theme music specific to our show, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll pick something from the album we're covering in that particular episode to kind of, you know, that's what we start with. Boom, you're right into the music, and then five seconds later, my voice comes in. So we just kind of customize for each episode depending on exactly what we're talking about. If you don't mind, Jackson, do you want to explain why we're called apples and oranges? I think it was your idea. Okay. That's what you... Well, you know, apples and oranges is just a cliche for when you're comparing things that are different. But the Beatles had the Apple Corporation, the Apple Company, right? And the Apple logo is on their records and everything. And the orange is a symbol for California, you know? And so apples and oranges just seem like they each represent the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and we're comparing albums. So we thought that fit. So we like that a lot. 
Good friend of mine, uh, another, a producer and author. Uh, his name is Sam McDavid. We've worked on documentaries together. He's he, we've done a variety of projects together. He's a huge fan of both of these bands. He created the logo that you see. Yep. It's a combination of that drop T logo that's on the Beatles drum drum bass drum, and also the typeface and color scheme from Pet Sounds. And so you, you know that's we're just combining the well known fonts of both bands, and I think. It's an excellent logo. I love it. He did a fantastic job with it. It immediately evokes both bands when you when you see it. So we're we're very happy with that. So between our name and our logo and and the fact that we've got such good material to work with, such good songs to cover, you know, we're 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 confident that this show can find an audience. So am I. So am I. Are you, are you okay with this um, knockout round? The both of you. Uh. I don't understand how it works, but sure. <laughs> it, I don't know. So if I understand this right, you've you've kind of taken a snapshot of the music charts from August of 65. Yeah. Um, I don't know how familiar you're going to be with these songs, and there are some that I know better than others, but we can give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. Okay, let's see if I can get my little chart. There we go. Da -da. Okay. See if I can <laughs> t take note of what I'm doing here. So. The, the chart for August the 21st, 1965 has got some really good classic songs in there. Absolutely. Starting yes. with, uh, at number four on the charts, you've got California Girls by the Beach Boys. And I can't remember what number it's at, but Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. So dare I guess, or should I ask you, which one would win out of those two? Well, I'm not sure. Is the fix in? Do you want to weigh in? Do you know I mean, Unchained Melody? Oh, yeah. I love Unchained Melody. I mean, I'm more familiar with the Elvis version. Uh, yeah. Um, he likes Elvis a lot. But, uh, I mean, it would win against a lot of Beach Boy songs, I think. But California Girls is just, is just too big. Yeah, it's too big. Um, I, have, uh, I have a case to make that California Girls may actually be the perfect Beach Boys album, at least from a certain point of view. Beach Boys album. Oh, did I say album? Yeah. This is, I've, you can make the case that it's the perfect Beach Boys song. Yep. I uh, I think I'll not go into that because I do, I, I explain that fully in our series. So I will tease that out, ask people to just listen to our show when we get to Summer Days and Summer Nights, which is the album that song appears on. But there is a lot going on with California Girls yes. that represents the best of what both Brian and Mike brought to the table in that band. So I'm going to go with California Girls. There's a lot more going in that song than meets the eye. And that is true with so much of their, of their catalog, but you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Next up, you've got... I mean, can you see why I've matched these two up, the next ones? You've got All I Really Want to Do by The Birds, which yeah. is a Bob Dylan cover version, right. or cover version of a Bob Dylan song, against one of the most high-profile Bob Dylan songs ever, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Iconic, yeah. 
Do you have a take on that? Are you familiar with those songs? I don't know that. I don't know that bird song, but um, it, it's a Dylan song, right? The birds, but this is the birds' version that the birds covered it was it, on yeah. the charts at this yeah. time. Yeah. So I don't know if I can really give a a fair opinion on that since I don't know the bird song. I've got full respect for Bob Dylan. I got. Yep. I'm not going to disrespect him at all, but he's just not quite to my taste. I, I can't say I'm a huge personal fan, although I deeply respect what he did and what his what his strengths were as a songwriter i'm going with the birds and it's not hard um i love their their sound you know you've got that jangly folk rock kind of 12 string action going on and and as much as we're talking about how the beach boys and and the beatles were pushing each other at the very vanguard of pop music at this time the birds were the third leg of that they were they were right there with them and you know it was a between it was really Beach Boys, Beatles, and Birds all kind of working to inspire one another and push each other, and so I'm going to go with Birds, yeah, easily. Yeah, I think without the Birds, well, I mean there were other groups around that sort of time, but I think the Birds were probably the the most, you know, the ones that were seen the most as in this sort of thing, where they're sort of like this folk rock essentially and they were almost the vanguard of that the big of that you had other bands as well like princely sports etc as well but these were the ones that were really out there so yeah i could see that right uh what have we got next that should be there i've got my little thing wrong um so then next one we've got is Pretty Little Lady by Marvin Gaye versus A Heart Full of Soul by The Yardbirds. Heart Full of Soul. <laughs> yeah. I um, Again, I'm a big R&B fan and I'm a big Motown fan. And, and I, again, I have respect for Marvin Gaye, but he's, I don't, he's probably not my favorite artist in that genre, although I got nothing bad to say about him. But, uh, but no, I'm not, I gotta, I gotta go the other way on this matchup. So okay, what have we got next? Um, what's new pussycat by Tom Jones versus the tracks <laughs> of my tears by the miracles. Do you know those songs? I don't know either of them. Okay. Right, okay. Uh, again, that's easy for me. <laughs> I don't imagine, I, I cannot imagine any scenario in which I'm going to pick a Tom Jones song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, love Smokey Robinson, love Tracks of My Tears. And I do know that the Beatles were fans of Smokey Robinson. And I think John in particular took inspiration from Tracks of My Tears for at least one song, maybe a couple of them. I think I've come across that. So I'm going, I'm going with the miracles right there. Okay. Right, where am I going to go with that? So here we go. So if we go back to California Girls versus The Birds, which one would win over those two? I need to listen to more birds. <laughs> yeah, you would like them a lot. You would. You, would. you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I, this seems... Uh, Seems a little obvious. Seems, Seems like I'm kind of trapped here. And- <laughs> I mean, I mean, I know how this is going to turn out. <laughs> it's got to be California Girls. Um, that is tougher for me. I do like the birds a lot, and the sound that they have on this record is very different from yep. California Girls. You know, and so it is excellent in its own way. And so they're not really competing with each other. And 
a lot of times we put these artificial choices in front of us and we stress on them. And I remind myself every time, you know, like, even like Pet Sounds and Revolver, it's like, I don't really have to choose. I still get to listen to both whenever I want to, you know? So I, again, love the birds. I love that song, but I'm going to pick in this scenario, I'm picking California Girls. Okay. Get that. So, who would win between a heart full of soul by the Yardbirds and tracks of my tears by the Miracles? You know, folk rock, right? Versus Motown soul. It yep. depends on your mood. You know, that there's nothing wrong with either one of them at all. What do you want to hear that day? But I'll go with Yardbirds. Yardbirds. Right. You know, you know what that means for the final, don't you, of this now? I think I do. <laughs> so, Artful of Soul versus California Girls. I, I feel like I'm being very chalky, very boring, very predictable, <laughs> but I am not going to let my boys down. California Girls. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and that's the... Uh, that's the um, for anybody listening, this was going to be a lot longer. There was another set of songs, but because of time, I've, well, I've cut it down. I thought that was a good. I thought that was a good game. Yeah, I'm glad I avoided the question of California Girls versus Help, um, which is what it would have been if we'd have done the full <laughs> game. Um, and they were competing with each other directly on the charts on the U.S. charts. Yeah, the California Girls reached number three. Help yep. was number one. Like a Rolling Stone was number two. Yeah. California Girls was number three. And so I'm not going to answer that question here, but nope. it is discussed directly in our series. Um, Help Me Rhonda and Ticket to Ride were on the charts at the same time earlier in the year. And then in August, you had Help and California Girls going against each other. And so we we break all that down. We discuss it and we make our picks. That's one thing we, on our show. We don't cop out. Yep. We don't go, oh, we like both or oh, I can't decide. No. We we make we each make a hard choice every time, so and so, sometimes it's I feel like it's either super obvious or it's the hardest decision in the world. Like yeah. you either you either know for sure okay it's definitely this album of the, this one or it's like you know you have to spend days thinking about it. Yeah. Hey, this is Ross, Simon, and Thomas from Who Takes the Socks Off podcast, the show that answers the questions you didn't even know you needed the answers to. You're listening to Marv, the one-man podcasting machine. On Pods Like Us. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan. This is Avery. And we are from the Frame by Frame King Crimson podcast. And you are listening to Pods Like Us. Yeah, it's like Sophie's choice. It's like, which baby are you going to kill? It's like, I don't, you know, don't make me choose. But um, but again, it's just fascinating to see how well they do match up repeatedly through the course of the decade as they progress and changed and evolved at the same time. Yeah, that's another reason why I cut it as well, is because I thought, obviously, you're going to have both of the songs up against each other in the show anyway. And I don't want to spoil... <laughs> the show people need to go and find out what the discussion about that is really hey and i want to just give a big uh thank you to the british audience the the british beach boys fan base and i'm thinking really of the late 60s when i say that when the beach boys fell off in america 
the UK audience was still there for them. Um, mm-hmm. They were more popular in England than they were in America. And at least for one moment in time, and I think I'm sure you know this, in 1966, there was an NME readers poll yep. in which the Beach Boys placed ahead of the Beatles for people's choice favorite group. Yeah. And and like I said, they enjoyed that kind of support from the British audience throughout the late 60s and early 70s when they they, you know, couldn't find anybody to listen to them in America. So the when they when they changed and they their music became sophisticated and all this stuff that we say is good and no one knows about that really a lot of people in England did know about it and they were appreciating it. And so that's that's, uh, you know, I like that. You know, it was it was kind of ironic at some point there in the 60s. The Beach Boys were more popular than the Beatles in England, which seems weird. And I'm sure it didn't stay like that. But at least at a moment in time, that was true. And then conversely, in America, the Beatles were more were more popular here than the Beach Boys were. So they kind of flipped roles. But anyway, um, Beach Boys fans, I think, always kind of have a certain respect for the British Beach Boys fans because there's always been a huge, a huge fan base there, but also a knowledgeable one yeah. that really appreciates their full catalog. So. So I don't I don't know who's listening to your show. I don't know if we have mostly a British audience or European or American, but um, anyway, hats off hats off to all those hats off to all the Beach Boys fans out there. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what's your plan going? Well, we've already said this. Your plan going ahead is to just do these albums, and then that's it, it is a limited show essentially, where it is just for these episodes where you're going one against the other and then when you get to 1969 when abbey road then that's basically the end of the show essentially right it's it's not going to be an ongoing thing it's it's if if we do more podcasting after the comparison is over it'll be probably under a different uh show entirely different name so jackson is 18 yep and he's just been accepted into one of nashville's top audio engineering schools so before the year's over, he'll be moving out and going there. So the idea of us keeping a podcast going indefinitely is probably difficult for us to pull off. But also, this was designed to be a limited series from the beginning. You know, this will be 25 to 30 episodes. It'll land somewhere in there and then we'll be done. Yeah. Um, I would love I love our format, our discussion format as we go through these albums. And like I said, we're leaving some quality Beach Boys albums on the table, not being discussed. Yeah. I'd love I'd love an outlet to be able to do that, but it's probably not going to be on our own show. So I'll um, I'll continue to pop up on my friend's podcast. I'm plugged into kind of the podcasting community. It's not always Beach Boys. It's, it's a lot of times it's just kind of pop culture, 80s pop culture mainly. But uh, you'll you'll see me around, and like I said, if anybody out there wants to bring us on to talk about this kind of stuff, especially after our show's over, uh, you know, talk about the other stuff we didn't get to, we'd be happy to do that. Absolutely. So, we, I mean, essentially, you've already given you know advice for podcasters, and I mean, have, have any podcasters given you advice leading up to this as well? Yes, um, like the. the the three guys I'm I'm mostly connected to are the podcasts I mentioned earlier. Surely you can't be serious. A film by and Docking Bay seventy seven. Those guys have all been great, 
and because they're they're in the game, they have permanent shows, you know, ongoing shows, and they're giving me advice on like I'll say, hey, do you think I should drop this teaser now or next week? And you know, they'll weigh in with their opinions, or they'll be like, hey, you know, I know you're busy producing these episodes, but you really need to get your social media accounts going. You know, you got to get your word out there. So they're they're doing a lot. They're very supportive of me. They're not necessarily big Beach Boys or Beatles fans, although one's a Beatles fan. They're just coming at it from, hey, we're in the podcasting community together. We want to see you succeed. And so it's it's been great having that. And so I, I'll get a lot of advice as I step through this. I'll be like, what platform should host it? You know, where where should I put this? You know, all, all the all the details that go into the not just the production, but the publishing and the promotion. And so those guys are my sounding board. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. So have, have we already gone into what sort of shows you like to listen to? Yeah, I think, well, yeah. I mainly just listen to shows about bands that I like. There's one that I stick to for the Chili Peppers called Universally Speaking. That's a great podcast about them. And, of course, Ceylon. But that, that's that been pretty much it for me. I'm not a huge podcast listener overall. If you want to shout out any of the Beatles ones that you listen to. Yeah, I can do that. Can okay. I go? I know, okay, yeah. But I know I've listened to... Um, Oh, what was it called? Oh, nothing is real. Nothing is real. Yeah. yeah, yeah, We like nothing is real a lot, and I also listened to before they were Beatles, yep. which really kind of catalogs all the details from about 1957 up until 63. That one's fantastic. It's hosted by a friend of mine. So nothing is real, and before they were Beatles are the main ones I've consumed. Yep. Uh, on the Beach Boys side, it's been Sail On, and just recently. There's a there's a new ep- there's a new show that just started at the end of 23 called Good Timing. I'm enjoying listening to that. And I'm going to give a shout out to Matt and Greg of the Beach Boys Talk live stream show. They go live on Facebook and YouTube every Tuesday night and that's been a really good like community building kind of meeting place and and they get fantastic guests on as as for interviews. And so as far as Beatles and Beach Boys, that's where I am. But like I said, I'm 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 into a lot of the pop culture of 80s and 90s movies and music, and also I am a fan of American soccer. So I'm a I'm a fan of the U.S. Men's National Team, and I'm a fan of Major League Soccer. You know, for all its faults and and flaws, it is the top division for United States. And so as you can see, I've got two flags here in this room of Major League Soccer teams, Atlanta and Nashville, because that's the part of the country I'm from. And so I've got multiple soccer podcasts that I listen to that either cover that league or cover our national team. And I actually have a YouTube channel of my own called American Soccer Quick Kicks, where I will come on and share my thoughts on that kind of stuff. I've kind of been on hiatus with that because we've been focused on apples and oranges. So the U.S. just had a January camp and they just played a friendly, and I didn't cover that. And Major League Soccer is getting ready to kick off their season at the end of February. I'm probably just not going to worry about it. I was building a pretty good audience, but right now our focus is to stay on track with apples and oranges. We're committed to that. We don't want to miss a single week. We want to stay on schedule with that. So... So that's mm-hmm. it. I've got probably three or four soccer podcasts that I'll listen to. That's great. So where can people find you and get hold of you then? 
Well, uh, I would. We do apples and oranges is on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. But the easiest thing I could tell you is to go to my personal link tree. That is link tree. You know how that is. It's it's yep. linktr.ee, and then it's slash Def Dave, and that is Def as in Def Leopard, D E F. Um, linktree slash Def Dave. That will get you to not only my American Soccer YouTube channel. It will also take. It could take you to the website for my novels. I've written a series of fantasy novels yep. that you can find through that link tree. But you will see also the social accounts for Apples and Oranges and the landing page for the Apples and Oranges show. And from there, if you go to that, you'll see what platforms we publish on. So we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. And then there's the RSS information there if you want it for yourself. So I would ask that you find us out there on one of those platforms, subscribe, follow, like, share, you know, and obviously if you like it, we want you to tell other people, get, get the word out there. We want to build this up. I think we have a topic of interest, of mass interest. Our, our challenge is not how good is the, is the topic. Our challenge is just people knowing that we exist. So if you like what you hear, please share it. And also, we just love talking to you, you know, find us on Facebook or Twitter or email. I've got the email on the same link tree. Uh, talk to us. We just want to have a conversation. We, I'll talk about this with you all day long. Yep. Let, let them know what you, what your own opinions are matching the albums up as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just link tree, Def Dave will uh, get you to all that. Yeah. I've taken note of that to put in the notes. Very okay. good. Thanks for speaking with me today, guys. Yeah, it was fun. Do you want to give your YouTube? Uh, well, there, there can, yeah, there can be a link uh, that he puts in there. But yeah, I, I post uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Red Hot Chili Pepper covers, um, and I also will occasionally post uh, some original work and band outtakes and such like that. So if you do want to check that YouTube out, I'm just now starting to kind of. Uh, get started with that so it's still pretty small but if you do want to support it then that'd be much appreciated yeah you can see him playing guitar on there put stuff up on a regular basis i'll i'll get you the specific link for that okay thank you for that thank you anyway so uh, you can find pods like us on any streaming platform um apple podcast um spotify or wherever you can wherever you listen to your podcast right now uh, you can contact us on or find us also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Threads. Just look for Pods Like Us. And you can contact us through podslikeus at gmail.com. There's also a Patreon page where for £1 per month, you get some extra behind-the-scenes footage and some uh, extra episodes as well, where I will do uh, give you a... Uh, I, I usually do like a diary thing and where people will find out what I've listened to and get the occasional review and things like that as well. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening and hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us.
Thank you.